0: Fraud has existed almost as long as human civilization has, with examples of it going all the way back to the ancient Egyptians. And it's still a major problem today, but the internet has made it much easier for cybercriminals to take advantage of us. I'm Danny Palmer. This is ZDNet Security Update. With me to discuss fraud and how it's affecting us now, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, is Yulin Lee, VP of Strategy and Development at OnFido. Thanks for joining me, Yulin. So first of all, what sort of online fraud are we seeing right now? Because as, as I just touched upon, the internet has made it much easier for this sort of thing to, to happen. Uh, it's, cybercriminals criminals can access people around the world now rather than having to go face-to-face to commit fraud.
1: Hi, Danny, thanks for having me. Uh, so Onfido are a identity verification company. Um, and hence we are in some ways at the beginning of the customer experience for a lot of our customers who are um, companies that work in financial services or um, at travel or transportation or retail and so on. Um, and we have actually seen quite a quite significant increase in fraud um, from through our customers um, using fraudulent IDs uh, even in the last year compared with the year before. So in 2019, uh, around 4.1% of the documents that came through our system for people who are applying for bank accounts and all else were fraudulent IDs. In 2020, this went up to 5.8%, uh, which is a 40% increase and pretty significant. Uh, which I think is exactly as you said, due to the fact that you can apply for more things online, you can do more things online, people were forced to do things online. And hence, um, it then became easier for a different or more common, I think, rather than easier for people to try and um, pretend to be someone else, uh, use a deep fake, uh, try to create a synthetic identity and so on.
0: That's certainly been the case. No, no, I'm obviously, as you can see here, I'm talking to you from where I live because this is where I have to do my work at the moment. You know, where a lot of us are still uh, in lockdown, still we have restrictions where we can go. We spent a lot of the last year with online and uh, being our only outli- outlet to go and see the rest of the world, really. And we've all sort of sign up to probably a lot more online services, uh, doing more things, but it's been convenient for us. But That's also created additional pathways for uh, cyber criminals and fraudsters to try to get to us. I mean, we, there's one that's been doing the rounds fairly recently uh, here in the UK, where it, it claims to be a text message from the post office saying, you've got a package waiting for you here. Uh, click this link to you know, retrieve it when, <laughs> That is some fraudsters trying to take advantage of how we're all stuck at home right now. So suppose it's almost a, for want of a better term, sort of perfect storm for for the for some fraudsters in this space because we're all so reliant on uh, being online now and we're all quite used to dealing with uh, various things, be it work or you know personal items, all via online, you know, clicking links in emails or text messages and things like that.
1: So we definitely uh, see that there are um, companies that historically didn't have such great digital relationship with their customers, uh, which makes them more vulnerable to type this type of attack, um, is in what you described. Uh, if uh, you were a company that had an app or had a consistent digital relationship with your customer, then they're less, you, or you don't need to view the text message, or they're less likely to see this as something as normal because they know how you normally interact with them. Uh, whereas definitely if, you haven't, haven't interacted with them before or don't have a more secure channel of interacting, then this makes it more likely, oh, maybe the post office did send me this text message um, rather than going through the post office app and being like, why would they send me this message? Because it's not come up on my account in any way.
0: It's sort of a blessing and a curse in a way that you know, we can see you know, every single transaction we make uh, in our online bank accounts and that sort of thing. You know. But I suppose, that's also making things potentially easier for for fraudsters as well, because if somehow they can get a uh, examined data or maybe go into our account somehow and see what activity we've been up to, they can exploit that either to do things which might be familiar, look familiar to us and go, okay, I've all I've ordered from this shop before, so that's not going to be a problem or just, you know, maybe even outright steal uh, identities and, Uh, use uh, our identities without us knowing in order to uh, essentially line their own pockets I suppose because when it comes to fraud and cybercrime a lot of it is at the end of the day about making money.
1: It does come back down to money I I, I mean as an identity verification company we strongly um, believe that you need to have robustness in your systems when it comes to identity so if you are willing to let so um, If you rely uh, on something such as like knowledge-based, which easily can now be found in the public domain, or even passwords, because we know a lot of people don't set very strong passwords, and then you're just letting your system be more vulnerable. Uh, and there are lots of different technologies now you can use and leverage. Uh, so whether such a system like ours, such as anchoring your identity to your legal identity at the beginning of the journey, and then capturing a biometric, or even leveraging your device (laughs) um, and the device signals or uh, device capabilities, um, we feel really strongly that these things that are very sensitive and high moments of risk uh, should be thought of as much and um, mitigated as much as possible using technology.
0: And technology does play a big role uh, in all of this. Uh, There was a point, uh, early last year, I got a text message from my bank going, you know, we're going to send you a message just to check this is you. And I got the message saying, um, you know, is this you or or no, we we think this might be suspicious activity. Is this you trying to make a purchase at what turned out to be a gas station in South America, which was quite clearly not me. I sat here in London, but I suppose ultimately technology has played a role in them being able to I'd use that extra step there to try and protect my account because they've seen where I'm based. They've seen my activity and, you know, I suppose seeing me suddenly turn up in South America, having, you know, been using, you know, my a bank card, probably somewhere in London earlier that very day was something that would have tipped them off that you know, this, this is suspicious activity. And that's sort of, there are easy markers like that, which can help uh, companies detect fraud, but it's not always that easy when cyber criminals are getting more sophisticated at um, trying to play tricks in order to uh, steal identities and and commit fraud.
1: That makes a lot of sense, because what it actually comes down to is actually layering all of these different signals, what you described. So they, if they knew that your phone was still in London and you last used your card in London, then the fact that this transaction was happening somewhere else feels even more suspicious. Um, and then they want need to contact you in a secure channel, or, or they might link it up with other. Um, if you've been doing a like paying it physically in a different place, but then online else, and like link layering all of these different things. Like, I think what as someone works in I- identity, what you see is that actually the vulnerabilities are what attackers will attack. So you have to really think through all of these different parts and layer on. Uh, in this case, we'll use. Your ip address in that case we will use your device space in that case we'll use your biometrics and making sure there's no really weak spots um, that can be targeted by attackers so we've definitely um as you said before they are out to make money and if there's a weak spot that they can exploit then they will definitely exploit that weak spot and we are in a point where they don't need to physically take cards off people to be able to do that kind of exploitation they can do it digitally and um, if your whole system is reliant on, say, a social security number or a national insurance number, that that kind of information can be bought in bulk for hardly anything on the darknet. So you need to really think through uh, for all of your different parts and your different experiences, like what is the, the vulnerability and the lowest common denominator and try and patch it up that way.
0: And that's one of the worrying things for people and organisations, I suppose, how you know, over the last, let's say, 10 years, to keep it short in a way, there's been so many data breaches, so many big uh, cyber attacks, so many instances of major companies uh, you know, losing or having private information accessed and people's sort of, uh, you know, bank details, names, dates of birth, uh, social security numbers, in for the case in the U.S., all sort of uh, out there on the internet. And there's some of that you can change. I mean, you can change your phone number, you can change some of your bank details. But when it comes to identity fraud, you can't change your date of birth. You could change your name, I suppose, but it'd be a lot of effort for trying to avoid identity fraud. And there's some there's just some information out there, which um, I suppose for all of us is, is public facing. Which can make uh, uh, this sort of thing tricky to defend against, especially when you, know, you can you can search the internet and you know, go on services and see, you know what breaches your email address has been breached in, and you, know, you can see okay these these ten companies have leaked my information, that's ten companies which could potentially lead to. You know, cyber criminals and fraudsters trying to you know, get hold of your identity for uh, whatever they want to do with it You know, be it uh, you know, steal your bank details apply for credit cards or um, various other things that i'm sure that we haven't even even thought of right now as, as technology moves forward
1: so we, we see um, this identity there's actually three components right there's the things that you know uh, the things that you have and then what you who you are uh, or the thing you are and um the thing that you know i think it, it is becoming quite a weak form of uh a weak, a weak form of authentication because the thing that you know so much of it is available in the public domain or uh, can be sourced in some way um and hence you that you see greater reliance on the things that only you have um which usually comes down to whether it's a device uh or a, a, a ID documents or something that really there isn't a lot of in the world and really belong to you. And then actually also um, corroborating that with the things that you have. And I think mean, that's where we are seeing an increase in uh, previously it was fingerprints, but that's actually very hard to scale because everyone has scanner. So now face biometrics. Um, and it's the triangulation of all of these different, I think coming back to this layers, it, just one of them will be vulnerable and um, being able to connect multiple creates a much stronger experience. So even in this case, if I knew your social security number um, and, and and other information about you, but I want to access your account. well, if you ask me for a face and especially a live face, um, I, that's much trickier, uh, And but it has to be a live face because otherwise I can get a picture of your LinkedIn profile and so on. And so you're adding in these different layers of complexity and really leveraging the device that you have to be able to build more robust security. Um, and then say, and the next extension is, oh, please also provide a live um, movement of your ID card. Suddenly, you become a much harder target for these foresters who want to steal your identity.
0: And as we've seen uh, in in in, uh, in the news this year, particularly in the UK, you know biometrics is going quite a hot topic because you know, you know, they're examining if they're going to be using sort of facial recognition uh, and and things like that as a means of. Uh, determining if you know you're you know you've had your COVID vaccine or if you can go in you know, go in and out of bars and places and there's whole sorts of civil liberties ideas around that but when it comes to the uh, you know biometric uh, element when it comes to security i suppose it kind of is one of the most secure ways you can uh, secure something in terms of you know your your counselor say you know you need to have your scan your face only you have your face and if uh, a does not me able to get hold of that unless they've got some a really sort of a cutting edge technology. Let's describe it as.
1: So where to um, distinguish between biometrics for like mass use and and consent based biometrics for one off use. Because I think the um the new AI legislation that's coming out of Europe also makes that quite distinctly different. So biometrics where you're not aware of it and it's been captured and you're in a physical space and so on there's definitely a lot of civil liberty um and privacy uh, aspects that we need to think very very seriously about i think when it comes to more one-off consent-based biometrics where you're you're using it to gain access to something and also it's being matched one-to-one against something you already have um think they are they're quite different things um, and often when people talk about biometrics then become like oh uh, what they're actually referring to is this big mass biometrics that you don't have control over rather than a very one-off point where you are using your biometrics you're giving consent it's not really been, it's not been stored it's just being used for that process and then it goes away.
0: And when it comes to the whole uh, COVID-19 vaccination uh, element as we've been seeing this year there, there seems to be a you know, cyber criminals and entrepreneurial in a way because you know the people some people want to you, know, to you know have documents that say they've been vaccinated even though they haven't and this is just another area of fraud that's now seemingly opened up on on sort of underground forums in the dark web where this sort of uh fake documentation is now available because i guess there's a market for it and when it comes to cybercrime, uh, they don't have any scruples about how to make money. If there's money to be made, they'll try to make it.
1: So with the introduction of, if, if you're going to introduce like a COVID passport, then it does need to be uh, robust <laughs> non-trans- and non-transparable um, and also very privacy centric. Um, and I think there are, if this is not th- thought through through the system, then you'll have lots of different loopholes and also lots of opportunities for crime. Um, and that's one of the things we are we we answered in the government consultation about is if you're going to do it, you have to really think through all of these different parts. If you don't, if you don't have a level of robustness, then then how how can people rely on it? Uh, if it's something that can easily be sold, then definitely there's a lot of issues there. And then lastly, thing the privacy angle, it's very sensitive in this country. You should only be disclosing the, the bits of information that needs to. I think these pillars really need to be thought of very clearly. Um, and and made very, very clear to the general public exactly like how they're participating, how their data is used, how the data is stored, how robust it is, um, if they need to make changes, how inclusive it is, et cetera.
0: So when it comes to uh, the general public, uh, us, I suppose, how can we uh, make sure that you know, we are as uh, protected against uh, identity fraud as possible considering all the uh, potential threats that are out there but there must be some things uh, we can all do to help keep our identity safe.
1: So I think there are um, basics that um, would really be helpful for everyone. So if we think of the triangle of what you know, who you are and what you have, then something like multi-factor on all of your key accounts. And regardless of what that factor is, whether it's um, a biometric or a SMS or a push notification, um, that is a huge deterrent and, and much more difficult I think there are weaknesses to using the um, SMS, but it's still much stronger than not having it in place. And then the other two are quite pretty, pretty strong. Um, and then the second one is actually having really—if you're going to have to do passwords, having secure passwords, <laughs> and making sure that you're not making yourself an easy target. Um, and then of course not disclosing. Don't take pictures of your passwords and IDs and put them on the internet. And all of the other uh, basics. I mean, we've seen. I think there is a CEO who posted a picture of their boarding pass and using the information on that, they could get a lot of information about him that I'm pretty sure they didn't want available in the public domain. So I, I, there's, there's a lot of things that will, it's, nothing will present, prevent you from not being ever targeted, but there are so many things that I do that are quite simple, but actually are hugely um, beneficial and impactful in stopping you from being a victim.
0: Well, there's a lot to, uh, to think about there, Yulin. Thanks for joining me on ZDNet Security Update. It was a very interesting chat and for more information on how to keep yourself and your company safe from online threats, uh, subscribe to the ZDNet YouTube channel uh, and keep reading ZDNet for news articles and features on these subjects. Thanks for watching.